Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Heidi, uh, thank you very much. Do keep your Bibles open at that reading from Colossians 2, page 1183 in the Church Bibles. And let me pray as we turn to God's Word together. Father, we thank you for this tremendous little passage that gives us a wonderful insight into what it means to be a Christian. And I do pray that tonight, whether we've been a Christian one day, or uh, many, many years, or whether we are uh, looking in on Christian things from, uh, from the side, we pray that tonight you would show us uh, the joy, uh, the great um, privilege it is to be a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had that feeling that somewhere, somehow, someone is living a better life than you? As a Scottish rugby fan, I often have that feeling. I'm kind of dreading the Six Nations coming up in the next few months. Uh, but what about you students, uh, our youth, uh, the students up in the balcony? Uh, as you compare yourself to other people, have you ever wondered if uh, you've chosen the right class, the right course, the right party, the right friends, the right sport, the, the right instrument? Uh, with social media... Uh, uh, the world is full of invites and groups and posts and pictures of people having fun and, and living life to the max. It is easy to constantly compare ourselves with others. Or, or maybe at work, after the weekend, we're just sort of catching up and comparing notes about the weekend. And as you hear stories of what people have been up to, I wonder if you become envious or we see our neighbours, friends, heading off on the next holiday. It's very easy to get the feeling that somewhere, somehow, someone is living a better life, 
a more fulfilling life than we are. In fact, I discovered this week that there's actually a, a, a psychological condition known as the fear of missing out. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real thing. Uh, it can cause depression, anxiety, sleeplessness. In fact, I had no idea that this condition existed, and I wondered this week what else I don't know about, and I wondered, um, <laughs> my mind got, got, got thinking. In our reading from Colossians 2, I, I think we see a bunch of people who are struggling with the fear of missing out. Paul is writing to people who have become Christians, uh, very much like Jeremy, as we've heard tonight. And Paul's advice to them and to Jeremy and to anyone here tonight who is a Christian, his, his advice is very clear. It's there in verse 6. Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. You become a Christian, Paul says, great. Continue as a Christian. Stick with Christ. Go on as you began. Sounds very simple. Except the Colossians were living in a city and in a culture that had a completely different understanding of what a successful life looked like. I suspect for these Colossian Christians to stick with Christ felt a bit like sticking with your 12-inch black and white TV that your parents had years ago when the rest of the world had moved on to the color 50-inch high-definition 4K TV, whatever it is these days. And I wonder if here tonight there are some of us who feel that way about being a Christian in our class, on our course, in the workplace, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Perhaps we're not a Christian, and we don't want to be a Christian, because we think that that would be to live a life less than to the max. Or maybe we are a Christian, but we're wobbling. We have that feeling inside us that maybe, just maybe, someone, somewhere else, somehow, is living a better life than we are. But look at what Paul says in verse 8. He says to these Christians, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. I had my first cream egg of the year this week. Um, I know there's been a bit of discussion about how they've changed the chocolate recently. People aren't, uh, aren't sure, but, but I loved it. It was tremendous. And uh, it reminded me that when I was younger, when I had a cream egg, I, I, I used to, to peel the foil off very carefully from the top, just enough to ease the chocolate out. And then I would fold the foil back into place to create the kind of perfect egg shape. And then I would leave it on the table for some unsuspecting sibling who would pick it up hungry and, and expecting chocolatey goodness and find only a hollow foil. That's the picture here in verse 9. There is a way of living our lives that looks promising. It offers us so much, we think. It's the way that most people in the world around us seem to be living. It's the way that depends on human tradition, as Paul puts it, on on the basic principles of the world. It's, It's how our culture functions back in the Colossians day and our day today in Sheffield. It's just the kind of common scene. And it seems to offer so much. If you just grasp the potential, you can have a fulfilling life, a good life, a life that others wish they had. 
And yet Paul says it is hollow and deceptive. It offers us nothing compared to Christ. And so to Christians who are struggling with the fear of missing out anxiety, Paul writes uh, these astonishing words in verse 9. Look at what he says. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The infinite, eternal God, the one who made everything, who is before everything, that God is taken on a body in the person of Jesus Christ. And then Paul continues verse 10. And you, Colossians, have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. You cannot live a more full life. You cannot have more confidence and certainty that you are living life to the max than a Christian. Paul says you have it all in Christ. How can Paul say this? Because if we're honest, I suspect if we asked each of you here tonight... There'll be moments when we just, it just doesn't feel like that. Compared to those that we live with and study with and hang out with, it just doesn't feel as if we have fullness in Christ compared to the world. So how can Paul say this? Well, for the rest of our time tonight, I want to work through uh, the remaining verses, verse 11 to verse 15. And I think we see at least four, four ways that Paul shows us how to be in Christ is better by far compared to any other offer of fullness in the world around us, better by far than any uh, tradition or human principle that we can find in the world. So here are the four points. Paul says, I think, in Christ, in Christ, we have been set apart. What Paul says in, in the next verse doesn't possibly sound like great news to our modern ears, but when we get our heads around what he means, it, it is remarkable. Look at verse 11. He says, in him in Christ, you also were circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. You see, in the past, Jewish people used to mark themselves out as being separate from the rest of the world by being circumcised. It was a, a symbol of of being marked out, of dedication, of purity. But, and um, without wanting to get uh, too gruesome tonight, um, the removal of one little piece of flesh did nothing, actually, to change the human heart. But Christ brings a different kind of circumcision, not just a, not a piece of skin, But Paul says that Christ comes and removes the whole sinful nature. That is the whole part of us, the the very inner being of us, which relentlessly wants to rebel against God and live our own way. That part of us has been cut off, taken away in an act of spiritual surgery. Which means to be in Christ is to be set apart once and for all. And it has nothing to do with our own behavior, our own performance, And you see, this matters so very much because the world is full of people who are trying to set themselves apart. I remember a few years ago when we used to live in London, uh, I remember that in a space of a year or so, suddenly there was a huge craze 
for people to compete in triathlons. It seems that for the previous decade, no one really did it. But then suddenly there's this huge wave of popularity to kind of do triathlons. And all these city bankers and lawyers who had never really run or jogged or cycled before suddenly thought, I know, I need to run a triathlon. Because it was a badge. It was a way of setting yourself apart from the rest of the crowds. You know, if you were able to hold down this crazily busy banking job and find time to go out and train for this triathlon, then you must be something to have that kind of inner strength and stamina and perseverance. And so running a triathlon in London became a badge of being set apart in a world where we crave to stand out and to be set apart. Isn't the world full of people trying to be noticed, trying to be marked out in all kinds of ways by their beauty, by their brains, by their brawn? At the most profound level, people in the world of the Colossians were trying to be marked out before God and the way the world does this is through the world's actions. For example, just flick that, well, not just glance down a bit further down the page to verse 21 of Colossians 2. And Paul describes how some people are trying to mark themselves out. So, verse 21, Paul says, um, They say, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are people who are trying to, to be impressive, draw these boundaries, to say, Look at me, I'm, I'm so sincere, I'm so dedicated. But Paul says that the great longing to be marked out, to be different, is achieved once and for all by what Christ has done for us. And sadly, I think so many Christians, where we slip back into the worldly way of thinking, we we adopt again the, the basic principles of the world that rely on human tradition. Imagine a person who um, struggles with a fiery temper, you know, a Christian. And this Christian knows that um, we're, we're meant to be um, peaceful and gentle in our speech. And so their fiery temper, well, it, it's, it's an issue. It, it matters. And so uh, they go away and they read books on anger management. And they learn to count to three before they respond in the heat of the moment. And they take deep breaths just to slow down before they respond. And uh, they avoid people who annoy them. And on good days... Well, their anger is under control. They've been able to draw a boundary around it and they've achieved something. They might say, look, I'm marked out for God. I'm living for him. Look at me, I've managed to control this fiery temper. But then the next day, something happens and they lose it. And it's gone, that status of being marked out. Or at least it is if you think that your performance, your behavior is what marks you out. You see, so often as Christians, we, we think that somehow it's how we live. If we manage to be good enough, that will stand us apart before God and he'll be pleased with us. But no, it can never be done that way. The world is littered with good intentions and New Year's resolutions shattered and broken because we cannot keep them. All those London bankers who are out busy running and jogging and cycling how long will they do it for a year two years three years a decade but at some point their bodies will break down and their their badge of that they use to mark themselves out the badge will go any human effort to mark ourselves out as being special and distinct particularly before God it just won't last but look at what Paul says in verse 11 our sinful nature has been cast aside 
through the work of Christ. Oh, we'll still make mistakes, we'll still let Christ down. Jeremy mentioned that very honestly tonight. But do you see, the badge we wear as Christians is a badge given to us by Christ. And it says, you are part of Christ's family, no matter how you live. Because we don't earn it, he gives it to us. And so Paul would say to us tonight, why go back? Why go back to how the world thinks and works, competing and pushing and tugging to stand out, when in Christ we have been marked out in the most profound and eternal way? Because of the work of Christ. So in Christ, we have been marked out. Next, in Christ, we have been made alive. I don't know if you ever had the experience of uh, sitting through someone else's holiday photos. Uh, It's often lovely to be able to enjoy uh, all the memories with them, as long as they don't show you all 4,000 pictures that they took. But of course, uh, looking at someone else's photos, well, it's, it's never quite the same. Because the experiences and the memories will always be secondhand. They're not our experiences, it, they, they belong to our friends. But look at verse 12. You see, Paul reminds us of a journey that Jesus made. But this journey was no holiday. In fact, it was the most horrendous, agonizing journey in history. It was a journey to his death and burial. But the journey didn't end there. For Jesus was raised back to life. But what does that journey 2,000 years ago have to do with us? It can feel a bit like we're watching someone else's kind of uh, holiday photos. Well, that's great for him. He survived the journey. Now he's got eternal life. But what about us? But look at what Paul says in verse 12. Remarkable words. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying that we were with Jesus when he was buried and when he was raised to new life. Even though it happened 2,000 years ago. See, see, when we have faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in him and say, help me, rescue me, something happens in that moment. We are bound together with Jesus And his journey becomes our journey. We are with him, the Bible says, every step of the way on his journey. Uh, Imagine a a letter and an envelope. The two are are joined together. The, The letter is put into the envelope. The envelope is sealed and posted. Wherever the envelope goes, the letter inside goes with the envelope. And if you like, Paul is saying that wherever Christ has gone, he is the envelope. Uh, We are the letter that goes inside His journey becomes our journey. We are in Christ, which means extraordinarily that when we put our trust in Jesus, uh, we are made alive just as Jesus was made alive. That is alive with a kind of life which lasts beyond the grave, eternal life, life that can never perish, spoil, or fade because his journey has become our journey. We've um, baptized Jeremy tonight with Uh, physical water Uh, we said that that water does nothing but it's a picture of what Christ has done for Jeremy spiritually in a spiritual baptism Jeremy has died he has been buried he has been raised with Jesus 
spiritually. Which means that for those who are in Christ, we have been made alive in a way that we cannot be made alive in any other way. Uh, This week I watched a a TV program about eight retired celebrities. Uh, These eight had lived lives, I guess, many of us would be envious of. Um, They had in different ways been famous. They were in different ways glamorous. And they had in different ways earned a lot of money and lived a, a good life. Um, yeah, the kind of life that we, I guess, would, would, would love to have. Now they've come to their retirement, and the whole point of the program was that they were to go to India for two weeks to try out what it would be like to retire to India. And um, as the program kind of followed these eight celebrities through their experience of India, it was remarkable what came out as they started to talk and process life. And as they engaged with the sights and sounds of India, it became very clear that these eight celebrities, they were still searching for something in life. Uh, One uh, person talked about how they were uh, feeling so hollow and empty. Even though they've had this remarkable life, another talked about craving peace and rest. Another said that they were exhausted by fear of what people would think of them and they longed to earn more money, even though they had money. Another talked about longing to find some inner spiritual self. And that's what happens. You see, when we make our goal in life that kind of goal, money, fame, success, renown, if we think that will bring us life, well, it might do for a a year or for a decade, but there will come a point, like with those eight celebrities, when we realize that we've given everything a go and we're left feeling hollow and empty and lifeless. We may not believe it now if we're younger with the world in front of us, but Paul is saying there's only one kind of life which is true life. It is the life that Jesus brings, eternal life. And so to a Christian he says, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And so, Christian, why would you want to crave the kind of life the world has to settle for? That's all the world has. Money, relationships, fame, glamour. But it goes so quickly. It doesn't last. Why would you want to live for that? When in Christ you have a life that spans through eternity. In Christ, we have been made alive. Well, next, in Christ, we have been forgiven. When I go shopping in, uh, to Meadow Hall, uh, two things always seem to happen. First of all, I'm uh, filled with an intense desire to leave as soon as possible. Uh, but if I don't, then the next thing that happens is that about a month later, onto my doormat falls a bill from my credit card company. And as I open it up, there on the the bill is a a list, a, a whole series of debts that I have built up that stand against my name, debts that I owe If you like, my my credit card bill is a written record of the things that stand against me, rightly so. 
Now, normally I, I can pay off those kinds of debts, um, but in Colossians 2, Paul tells us about another kind of debt that no one here is rich enough to pay. So verse 13. End of verse 13. God forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. In the first century, when Romans crucified a criminal, they would write on a board uh, the, the written accounts of the wrongs done by the criminal. And then they would take those written charges and they would put it above the cross so the world could see that justice was being done. Paul takes that same idea and he says that there was a written charge nailed above the cross of Christ as he died. But it wasn't his debt, his account of wrong. No, it was ours. Every wrong thing we've ever done. Imagine it. In a room this size, imagine how long that account of wrong would be. All the pride, all the self-centeredness, the harsh words, the envy, the internet sites that we looked at that we shouldn't have done, all the prayerlessness, the lovelessness, the laziness, the thoughts, the words, the deeds. Just imagine how long that written account would be for a room this size, let alone the world crying out our guilt. And then imagine it being taken and nailed to the cross of Christ as he died in our place. In Christ, we have been forgiven. And so I need to ask us tonight, why would we want to live a different life than the life we are offered in Christ? And yet so often as Christians, I think we do slip away from Christ on this point. Here are a couple of ways that I do it. Um, as I often slip into thinking that God loves me, dependent on how I've lived that day. So on good days, when I think I've done pretty well, then I just about reckon God might love me and that he's on my side. But on bad days, and there are bad days, I do despair when I think it's down to my performance to earn God's love for me. But to live that way before God is to live how the world lives, according to human tradition, the the, the basic principles of the world, where the world says you have to earn your way up a ladder to God. You have to impress the deity somehow. But Paul says, no, Christ has died for us, which means that no matter how we live, we couldn't be more loved. Or think of a Christian carrying around a DVD in their heads, if you like, of all the things that we've done wrong. You'll have them. I know you do. I have them. Moments that we are profoundly embarrassed by, that shame us, that bring us down. And often we can keep those DVDs locked away in our minds, just in a corner somewhere. We can get through day by day without going there. But something happens, you know, we, we, we see someone, a memory jogs our thoughts and suddenly it comes rushing back, that whole record of wrong and it hits us and we are overwhelmed by guilt. And we sit down with the remote and we press play and we just play it again 
and again and again. And at those moments, we just can't see how Christ could forgive us. But Paul says, in Christ, all our past sin, all our present sin, all the sins that we will commit in the future, all nailed to the cross, once and for all, done and dealt with. I just wonder if there are some people here tonight who particularly need to be reminded that in Christ we are forgiven. I don't know what's been on your mind as you come here tonight, but I reckon there'll be some who've dragged themselves here, burdened by guilt, wondering if this is the last time and God will give up on you. Well, it's not. Because at the cross of Christ, every account of wrong has been nailed above his head as he took our place. Christianity is not for good people. It is not for religious people who climb the rung of performance and good behavior. It is not about a set of rules that we have to follow. It is about a rescue. In Christ, we have been forgiven. And so why move on from Christ? What can the world possibly offer us that is better than that? Finally, in Christ, we have been set free. Look at verse 15. Paul says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The Bible is very clear again and again that there is a spiritual world. There are forces out there that are evil, that stand opposed to God and his people, uh, forces that want to derail us. And the way these powers love to work is to accuse God's people. The devil loves to whisper in our ear little thoughts into our hearts, thoughts like, God cannot love you, you are not good enough. They are thoughts that can burden us and bring us great distress. And the burden gets even heavier if we have started to think like the world thinks. If we think that we have to earn our way to God every day, climbing that ladder to him with our good behavior, then that's the very point at which the devil loves to whisper in our ear, you're not making it. You'll never make it. You're not good enough. And if we've slipped into that mindset, well, we will be crushed, full of despair. He's like a a high court judge who loves gathering all the evidence, bringing it out into the light, summoning up the verdict and declaring before us guilty, condemned. But Christian, we have been set free. The devil has nothing against us. He has been disarmed at the cross. You see, when he whispers to us that you'll never make it up the ladder to God, we can say, you're right. We never will on our own. But in Christ, we are already there. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation. And so when we do feel that overwhelming condemnation, the the guilt that, that makes us want to run from God and hide, the place to go is back to the cross to rearm ourselves with the reality that the victory has been won. Well, as we finish, it is very easy to get the feeling that somewhere, somehow, someone else is living a better life than we are, a more fulfilling life, a more exciting life, a better life. 
But I think we've seen tonight that it is impossible to live a more full life than the life of a Christian in Christ. And when we get this, when we realize that we're not missing out on anything, when in fact we have everything, when that truth sinks deep into our hearts and starts to change how we feel about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, what happens? Well, verse 7, right at the end, we become those who overflow with thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for all that Christ has done for us. We thank you that in Christ we have fullness. Father, we would ask tonight that you'd help us to believe that afresh, to allow the truth of being in Christ to affect every area of our hearts and minds and lives. And Father, would we be those who leave here tonight not envious of the world around us, not trying to compete with the world around us, but rather overflowing with thankfulness because we have everything in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.